The land of Egypt in the day of Moses was one which had a multiple plethora of gods. It's called polytheism. In other words, many gods. In fact, it is understood that there was about 80 gods or goddesses and a lot of minor ones clustered around those others. But essentially, these gods were found around three main areas of focus in Egyptian life. The Nile, the land, and the sun. Now you think of it, men and women, in a natural context, if it wasn't for the Nile, the land itself would be just an extension of a desert right, that reaches right into North Africa. But in ancient times, the Nile was so influential because it came and it overflowed its banks every year. And in due course, it deposited the rich sediment, uh, sediment and the rich soil that had been carried down from Central Africa. And that meant that it made Egypt one of the most fertile lands in the entire world. Combined with the rich land and combined with the Nile, which was able to irrigate the land, and then the brilliant sun, then that was a recipe for producing magnificent crops. And hence the focus of Egyptian life was centered around particularly those three areas. But so was God's wonders. So would God's plagues be directed against these gods of Egypt. So far in our study, we've only seen the Israelites suffer as a result of the affliction meted out to them by Pharaoh and by his officers. They were the victims of cruel slavery. But now the tables are to be turned. For it is Egypt that is going to suffer as God will smite the land. And Moses was going to have a prominent part. He was going to see the promise that God had said unto him being fulfilled. For remember now, it's well over 80 years. And the Egyptians have oppressed the Hebrew children. And God has patiently borne with the persecution of his people. We could go to the Psalms. Psalm 103 verse 9 tells us, The Lord is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy but he will not always chide neither will he keep his anger forever and now the time has arrived that God is going to intervene God is going to step in and take vengeance upon those who had reduced his children his people to mere slavery and bondage and it is our purpose this morning to merely consider the beginning of the plagues For a while I've already intimated. It may be something that we've been told about and we've heard about, even from our Sunday school room, but yet there's much to be learned from the record of these plagues. I want you to notice firstly here the purpose of the plagues. We can say that the purpose of the plagues was for various reasons. We have to say also the Lord always has a purpose in whatever he does. He always has a purpose. There's times we can't see that. There's times only maybe months or years later we say we come to that place. Oh, we know why then we had to go through that difficulty. We know why the Lord permitted that in our life or in our home. But there's times that when it happens we don't see it. But the Lord always has a plan and purpose. And the purpose of these wonders was that glory would be brought to him. That's right and it's proper that God is glorified. 
The shorter catechism man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And the power of God manifested will be one area in which God will be glorified. These wonders, if nothing else, were a great demonstration of divine power. They show that God has the power and he has the ability to do what he pleases. Even the very magicians of Egypt and of Pharaoh had to acknowledge that. You cast your eye across to chapter 8, verse 19, they say, this is the finger of God. It really goes beyond the power of God. It touches on the control of God, or what we might call the sovereignty of God. He is over all things. Men and women, I go to First Samuel chapter 4, many centuries later, and the plagues and the wonders of Egypt still hadn't been forgotten. Because listen to what the Philistines were here to, heard to say in 1 Samuel 4 and verse 8. He said, they say, Woe unto us! Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. That's in Samuel's day. And still the Philistines remembered they remembered the plagues. They remembered the wonders that God did against the Egyptians. The plagues demonstrated that God had power to control nature. We see the rivers turn into blood. The plagues show us that God controlled power over the animal kingdom. There's some animals we can tame, and there's some animals that we might take as a pet. But God has control over each one of them. I, I never cease to marvel and to think of how the animals came to the ark. Against their very instinct, God directed them, God guided them two by two. And God has control over the animal kingdom because we're going to read about the lice. We're going to read about the frogs. And God also has control over even the diseases the weather over light and darkness, over even life and death itself. When the plagues are over, it is evident that the God of Moses, the God of the nation of Israel, had the power to control all of creation. And you'll appreciate that God is glorified in a greater measure when he often shows his power in the most trying of circumstances. It's when the enemy seems to have that insurmountable grip upon the people that the Lord now enters the scene and shows his power. And dear child of God, I trust that you take courage in that. Take comfort with that thought. For when our situation seems to be impossible to overcome, it's then that God delights to step in and show his power on the behalf of his people. But also remember, that as the purpose of these plagues primarily was to glorify God, then so that also ought to be our aim as his people in all that we do. You see, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 what Paul wrote to the believers in that church, verse 31. It says, Whether therefore 
ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Just ask yourself, child of God, did I glorify the Lord in all that I did yesterday or last week? In eating and drinking and whatever we did, we are to glorify the Lord. The purpose, moreover, for these plagues was the preeminence of God. These wonders would show that God was above all the gods of Egypt. It was something that God had instructed Moses of before the final plague was enacted. If you turn up over a few chapters to chapter 12, and the words of verse 12, it says this, God said, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Time had come when God would show himself to be God. When the judgment of God would be experienced. And you know, Moses is found to write about it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Numbers chapter 33 and the words of verse 4. Let me just read it to you. It says this, For the Egyptians buried all their firstborn, which the Lord had smitten among them. Upon their gods also the Lord executed judgments. I've already said to you that they had 80 or more gods or goddesses, but there's only one true and living God. And these plagues would prove the preeminence of the Lord. God entered into these areas where supposedly the pagan gods of Egypt ruled. There was the gods of the Nile. There was the gods of the land and of the creatures. But God overruled them all. And by predicting what was going to happen before it did so, and leaving the magicians and the sorcerers embarrassed and unable to do anything, it gave the infallible proofs that Jehovah was God. We should also make reference to Jethro. Jethro was mother, uh, Mo- Moses' father-in-law. Remember, he was in a different part of the land. He was a priest of Midian. But he heard of what the Lord had done by the lips of Moses. And in doing so, he is one who confessed the preeminence of the Lord. Because we read in Exodus 18 and the verse 10, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. It was the Lord who had done it. False gods may have their time. But that day is coming. When God will display his power and his preeminence at their expense. The God that we worship this morning will not share his glory with any other. He is God alone and beside him there is none else. Oh, that today we would witness people giving the Lord the preeminence that he he deserves. That the Lord would take his rightful place in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, in our worship. You see, I read in Colossians 1 and verse 17, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning from the dead, 
that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's the sole head and king of his church. He's before all things. That in all things he might have the preeminence. For verse 19 says, It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Does the Lord have preeminence in your life? I want you to answer that. As only you can do that. Does the Lord have preeminence in the decisions that you make? Whether they're small or great. Not a case of making a decision and then down the road a little there's a bit of trouble and then you come to the Lord and say, Lord, get me out of this. Help me through this. Is the Lord preeminent in the decisions that you make in your home life, in your business life, in your worship? There's the purpose of the plagues, but then... I want you to see the order of place, of the plagues. God gave to Abram a promise. And to his descendants, of course, he said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. That promise God was going to fulfill through the plagues that would come upon Egypt. They had ill-treated the people of God for generations, treating them as mere slaves. And now the time had come when God would smite Egypt and there would be the deliverance of his people. That's what God had said to Moses. Because you turn back to chapter 3 in the verse 20 and says, And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. After that. Pharaoh was to learn that refusing to submit to God eventually results in great loss. You never gain by resisting God's way. And as we take an overview of these plagues, it does show us a great truth in the context of God's salvation. I want you just to grasp this. You see, before Israel would be set free, there had to be the judgment upon sin. We have read it in Exodus 3 verse 20. God would stretch out his hand. He would smite the land. And after that, he will let you go. And so it is for the sinner before the unconverted man can be gloriously set free and liberated from the sin of the devil, from the bondage of the devil, and from their sin. There has to be the judgment of sin. Judgment must come first of all. But like Israel, in Egypt, the sinner does not experience or have to bear that judgment. It's borne by another. And in Israel's case, it was borne by the Egyptians. It was borne by the land of Egypt as God's judgment was poured out upon them. And in the case of you who are not saved in the meeting house this morning, the judgment that you deserve for your sin is not laid upon you, it's laid upon Christ. Judgment Upon sin, first of all, 
before the sinner can be set free. And you see, men and women, dear unconverted loved one, that is why the Savior went to the cross. He was to bear our sins in his own body so that his people might be set free from the penalty of sin. God must bring judgment upon sin or else he will cease being God and his holiness and his justice will be compromised. But in grace he found a way. He gave his only begotten Son to take upon himself our nature, our humanity without sin, so that he could die on the cross as the sinner's substitute. I wonder, have you gained the greatest freedom that any man can have? Whom the Lord sets free shall be free indeed. I wonder this morning, can you answer the question that Christ, is he your substitute? Has he bore away your sin and your judgment that you deserve? And praise God, you can look back by faith to Calvary and you can say, He died for me. If you're not saved, that's where you must do. Because if your judgment for sin is not paid upon Christ, it will be paid upon you for a lost eternity. In a lost eternity. What about these plagues? Well, We're about to see the first of these wonders or plagues that God would judge Pharaoh and his people with. But just for a moment, think of the ten plagues as a whole. I said to you, there's an order. I believe that what you see here is a God that that is a God of order. The arrangement of these plagues suggests a divine order and design. The tenth plague is separated from the rest because it has special significance for the redemption of Israel. But if you take the other nine, they're divided into three groups. There's the relationship that is noted here. In each of these groups, there's a warning given after the first and the second plagues of the group. uh, But there's not a warning given for the third one. So, if I can bring that out to you. For example, we have Moses commanded to meet Pharaoh. The Lord tells him, go you and stand before Pharaoh as he goes to the water's edge. Look at verse 15. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand, and thou shalt say unto him. Here's the warning, you see. The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto me, saying, Let my people go that they may serve in the wilderness. There's the warning. And another warning is given before the second in that first group, which you'll find at the start of chapter 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. What follows is the plague of frogs. So there you have a warning in the number one and the number two. But men and women, there's no warning in the third of that group. There's no warning given before the lice. Verse 16 of chapter 8 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout the land of Egypt. There's no going on to Pharaoh there. And the same applies to the number 6th and 7th as it does to number ninth and the 10th. And surely it is a reminder to us that God would not always strive and that warnings that are repeated and unheeded will be followed by judgment that is sudden and that is terrible. 
take that to heart. How many times has God warned the sinner? How many times maybe has the Lord spoke to you who are in Bypath Meadow? Kind of a blessing of the Lord has a word for you. Because if he's silent to you, become like them that go down to the pit. A further consideration of these plagues and the relationship that is noted is striking. Plague 1 and Plague 10 mention the blood. The second plague and the ninth are associated with darkness. Frogs are a creature of the night. And then there was the darkness that covered the whole land. The third plague and the eighth plague have a confession associated with them. I've already referenced one of the confessions because the magicians and the sorcerers says it's the finger of God. And in chapter 10, 16, Pharaoh himself makes a confession. I have sinned. In the fourth plague and the seventh plague, it is specifically mentioned that Goshen was exempt. There will be no hail there and there will be no uh, flies there. And in the fifth and the sixth group of plagues, the, the animals are prominent. You see, men and women, there's an order. And we make mention of these comparisons because it reveals to us that God is a God of order even in his judgments. That the Word of God is not some book that is jumbled up and, and it's a mess put together at random, but it is divinely inspired and it's ordered revelation of God who doeth all things well and whose Word is forever settled in heaven and it can be trusted and it can be depended upon and it is without fault and it will prove to be such to all who read it and who believe it. There's one other thought worthy of note before we look at the first plague in earnest. And is the revelation of God that is seen in these plagues. You look at the verse 17. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. In this thou shalt know that I am God. Moses and Aaron stood first before Pharaoh, requesting that Israel be let go. It was Pharaoh who scornfully said, I know not the Lord. Well, that's going to change now. It would be begin with the waters being turned into blood, and that thought would follow right throughout the rest of those plagues. In a stark fashion, he would soon know who Jehovah was. But it would take these judgments, it would take these plagues and these wonders in the land for him to know Jehovah. He would learn that he was dealing with a God who is all holy. He would learn that he was dealing with a God who is all powerful and a God who is above all other gods that Pharaoh ever knew. And as a result of these plagues, Israel would know God better. And Egypt would know God better. And so would Pharaoh. God doesn't do things to entertain. I want you to understand that. 
He does so that he might reveal himself to sinful and lost mankind, that he might enlighten them to the great truths of his person and of his word and of his work, that we might know him. And how do we know God? But through Jesus Christ. Through his word. That's why as a church we're not in the entertainment business. I want to say that to parents today. This church is not here to entertain. This church is not a social club. There's a lot of churches have deviated down that road. And they're more like a community center now. I believe God has placed this church in the Tandergee Road in Market Hill for the purpose of worshiping God and of learning more about Him. For they that do know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. I would rather stand with the Apostle Paul than where many others stand and where they're leading their congregations in these days. Because Paul, as an old man, could say this, Philippians chapter 3 and verse uh, uh, number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And don't forget, he's already a man that has saw much done for the Lord. He saw many churches open, many congregations formed, many elders appointed. But he yet says as an old man, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. God reveals himself to us. We might know him. And that's what was to happen through the order of these plagues. Pharaoh would know Jehovah. Albeit it would be too late. The Egyptians would know Jehovah. And Israel, they themselves would know more about the Lord. Let's then come to this first plague because I want you to see the waters of blood here. The first three plagues he interfered with the comfort of the Egyptians. The first severely deprived them of their basic need of water to drink and to wash in. Look at verse 18. And the fish that is in the river shall die and the river shall stink and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. The causing of the waters to be turned into blood would bring ruin in various ways. There was a disruption to their food supply. Verse 19, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that they may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the water in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And it, was, it even incorporated the water that was gathered by the vessel that was sitting in the house. Even though the, the water in the vessel of stone or wood, it was turned into blood. The polluted waters caused the fish to be killed. 
The fish was one of the main items or sources of their food. And it was only because they were able to dig holes and wells beside the rivers that they were unable to get water to drink or else they'd have all perished. The fish supply, however, would take a long time after that to build up again. As we have often heard in our own province where there's fish kills, it takes months, it takes years to build up the stock. There was room. There was ruin to their food supply. There was disruption. I want to tell you something else. There was ruin in an environmental sense. And here we're getting into something that we hear plenty about these days, so-called. There's little wonder that the Scriptures state in verse 21 that the river, the fish that was in the river died and the river stank. It would have been foul. The air would have been laden with a stench. But in a day, men and women, when we have eco-warriors and bylaws, etc., brought into being which are supposed to help a sick environment, isn't it refreshing to know there's no new thing under the sun? But that which we don't hear about today is the cause for these ecological problems, so-called. And the cause is sin. But that's the truth that they don't want to be published and they don't want to recognize. The wickedness of Sodom and those cities in the plain was to result in an environmental disaster, but it was due to sin. Can you imagine the Green Party looking over that scene? Those guys that are taken up with climate change these days. And in Egypt, the river stinking and unable to be used was due to man's sin. Well, men and women, we have millions of pounds pumped into trying to prevent climate change. But the governments never address the greatest problem of all, and that is sin. They're not in control of the climate. God is. And this climate will not be destroyed again by the ice caps melting. For God will never send another flood. And the boys and girls know it because they can see a rainbow. It's a promise. It's a covenant. But this old earth and this old world will be burnt up one day. Sin is the root cause of so-called ecological problems as it was in Egypt. It goes without saying that the ruin experienced would have been known in the economy as well. Fishing industry was a great uh, business in Egypt, of course, and it would have been hurt by this plague. It wasn't business as usual because of this plague and the roots of the problem in the economy was their sin. And you know, the sooner the better that our people learn, and the sooner the better that our people know that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's a reproach. You consider the reaping in this plague. What I mean by that is this. The waters of the Nile and the other rivers being turned into blood was a throwback. It was a reaping of what had happened years previous. 
You see, Egypt had stained the rivers and the waters with the blood of the innocents as they put the baby boys to death and threw them into the waters. Their blood would flow in the, in the waters, and now all the waters in the river were colored red, and they were blood. What do you write over that? I'll tell you what you write over it. Be sure your sin will find you out. The chickens have now come home to roost. There's a reaping in this plague. Pharaoh nor the Egyptians were bothered by the blood that they put in the rivers, but they certainly are bothered now when God causes those waters to be blood and they reap what they have sown. The Nile that was the source of life for this ancient land had now become a source of death. Everything in it was dead. But the question was, where was the gods of the Nile? Where were the gods of the fish? They were all found to be powerless. As God showed his superiority over them. Men and women, all things sooner or later that we trust in or that we honor above God will fail us. And the hymn writer got it right when they penned those words. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. What's your idol? What is that thing that you cherish and is it upon the throne of your heart? If it's not God, it's not an idol, of course, if it is God, but if it's something, it's in the wrong place. In this plague, you'll see also the rejection. Look at verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and neither did he set his heart to this also. The magicians there brought out again. And again, they wield their power by, that was given to them by, by Satan. But it must have been on a much smaller scale. I say that because they wouldn't have much water to work with. All the waters of the Nile and the rivers and the ponds were turned into blood. They would have to get the water from the wells that the Egyptians had dug. And so there's a duplicating, there's an imitating of the miracle, but it was no match to that of Moses and Aaron. And when we think about it, it was nonsensical. Why didn't they turn the blood back into water? That would have made sense. That would have helped the people in their distress. What they did was only aggravate the situation. It only made it worse. The little water they had was made less. You see, the devil cannot remove judgment. The devil only adds to it. But as a result, Pharaoh had his get-out clause that he needed. He accepted what they did in power with Moses. And so his heart is hardened again. And he wouldn't hearken unto them. And he turns on his heels only to leave his citizens, his own people, with extra duty and the removal of the very commonest of blessings. Verse 24, And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. What hardships have been brought on our nation and others because as a result of wicked rulers. Unless men and women we see revival in our land. 
unless we see people open their hearts to the truth of God, then we will suffer the same curse and spiritual poverty more and more and more. The plagues in Egypt is an up-to-day, up-to-date experience and illustration of the power of God and defying God and His Word. May we learn from it. Can I say in closing, if you're not saved this morning, I wonder, will this morning find you repent of your sin? Turn from it. And turn to the fountain of living waters from which you will never thirst. You see, I read in closing John chapter 6 and verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. The Egyptians were thirsting. Thirsting due to their sin. Due to the wicked rulers that were over them. And men and women, in your sin, you will thirst. The cisterns of this world, they'll prove to fail you. They'll not satisfy. And so we point you to the only Savior, and we point you to the fountain of living water from which you will never thirst. Wonders are one this morning will come, taste and see. The Lord indeed is good. The Lord bless his word to each of our hearts this morning for his own name's sake.